Hallelujah. God bless you. One of my years back, one of my favorite worship leaders used to, in his live recordings, he would say, smell that celestial air, he called it. <laughs> and there's some celestial air here tonight. Amen. And when his presence is here, transformation takes place. Amen. Something that may have been taking you decades can be instantly changed in his presence. It isn't magic, but it's his mercy. It's his grace. Amen. Before I go any further, I want to thank Pastor Mark um, and Pastor E for the opportunity to bring the word. Um, the bread of life. Amen. But I think I've bought a stew tonight. Does anybody like stew? Yeah, there's some carrots and some good stuff. And it's all organic. I got it at Whole Foods. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. And we just thank you, Father God, that your presence is in this place. We thank you for your celestial air, O oh God. We thank you, Lord, that you look down upon us with mercy, O oh Lord. You see our human frailty, O oh Lord, but you love us all the same. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I've spoken here about maybe two or three other times, and I always come back to that abundant life. But today I want to speak to you about being rooted in truth. Amen. And I believe that in the kingdom, truth is not just a set of ideals, but it's actually something to be lived out. It's actually a state of being. Right? Truth is something that we learn, but it's also something that we need to have deep in the inside. If we don't do it, we'll end up frustrating ourselves in the walk with the Lord. And we'll call the struggle faith when it isn't faith. Acknowledging what's wrong is so important. So important. Because faith doesn't ignore the fact that there may be an issue, but what it does is that it denies it a place of influence. Amen? And so... I want to tell you that we have been elevated to a higher place. Amen. Ephesians, my, one of my favorite verses says that we have been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It says that we've become the righteousness of God. Amen. That we've been invited. We've been born again. We've been, uh, how can I say, we've been born again into a family. Amen. His blood flows through our veins. The word of God teaches us that we are to be the head and not the tail. Above and not beneath. Amen. We are supposed to go from glory to glory. You know, and there's a term that's called, it's derived, and pardon uh, the word, but it's derived from the, the word bastard. But it, it, the term is bastardized. And what that means is to reduce something from a higher place to an inferior place. It's, it's to make something superior, inferior. It would be, a good example would be a father who has a son and he's set to be the heir. And now the father says, you know what, you're banished from my home, you've got nothing. Instantly, he's gone from a high perspective to a lower one. Sounds like an adversary, the enemy, amen? Jesus said, I, I was there and I saw him fall like lightning. And I just believe that the devil goes around passing on that inferiority complex to us for millennia. That's his lifestyle, not yours. You have been elevated. Amen? And so the enemy seeks opportunity to reduce us by any means possible because he has been reduced. 
The word of God says in John chapter 8, verse 42 through 47, Jesus was speaking to the Jews and he said, Jesus tells them that he came to bring the truth and freedom, but the devil is a killer from the very start. He can't stand truth because there isn't a shred of truth in him. When the devil speaks, he makes it up out of his lying nature. Isn't that something? Word of God says that he is the truth and the truth will make you free. But how many of us in life have often felt bastardized? I know I have. And it can creep up, creep up on you quite suddenly. I mean, we can be in a moment of victory. And all of a sudden, we just feel inferior. We feel less than. We feel like there's nothing that we can do. But Jesus came to make us whole. You know? Don't worry. We're, we're going to get to it. I find that, and, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to be super transparent tonight because I've done this to myself. I find that we often reduce ourselves by living out in appearance rather than living out the truth itself. And when we go around having an appearance of godliness, and we may be noble in our hearts because we really do love the Lord. The enemy uses that love against us sometimes. But we really have hearts for the Lord. We're noble people. But there are things in us that sometimes we just haven't processed. There are things in us that it's almost like a hook that the enemy has. Where we hear, we hear the concepts of truth and we believe it. And like that parable that Jesus said, you know, the, the, the seed fell down and immediately uh, the root sprang up. But, but it's nothing that has any root to it. So it springs up quickly, but it withers away quickly. And I found that even in my own life, that's something that we struggle with. God is not concerned with our appearance. He's concerned with truth in the inward parts. He's concerned with blessing who we really are, not who we pretend to be. Amen? God is not concerned with a flawless performance. In Psalms 51, in the message version, ever since the pastor read from the message, I've been like, man, I'm enjoying this message version. <laughs> and David was saying, you're not after a flawless performance or religious acts. But you desire truth in the inward parts. That's the truth that really makes you free. That when the enemy comes to bastardize you, to whisper in your ear, you know, you are the sum of your fornication. You are the sum of your addictions, you are of your past arguments, of your past traumas in life. It's that truth that anchors you and tells you that, behold, all things have been made new. Behold, the old has passed away, and all things are new. Amen? Yes. Hallelujah. I want to speak to you about Saul. Saul was a man that had eventually had everything going for him. But he had emotional baggage. Anybody knows what that is? Let me tell you, I brought a bunch of it into my marriage. I did. And I'm still processing some stuff. But God is so good. Yes. God is so good. But let's get to Saul. Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. It was considered one of the lesser tribes in those days. And he had an inferiority complex. He was good looking. He was taller than everybody else. He had everything going for him. Yet he looked down on himself. And even when Samuel chose him, he was hiding amongst the people. 
for his own ceremony. Now here we had a beautiful ceremony a few months ago for the pastoral staff and it was beautiful. But there was nobody hiding in that closet like, hey, come out here, we're gonna wash your feet now. Everyone was happy to receive the best that the Lord had for them. Yet Saul is about to become the first king of Israel and he was hiding amongst the people. They had to call him out. And what happens is that although he became king and although he was destined to rule and to have a great kingdom, his emotional baggage got the best of him. You know, Saul didn't have the benefit of self-help gurus and a whole industry like we have now. You know, we have so much and sometimes we don't take part, you know, we don't really take advantage of it. But Saul didn't have that. But God allowed him opportunities to do what was right and give him several heart checks along his journey. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, I'll, I'll summarize, you know, God told Sam, uh, God commanded Saul to go and exterminate the Amalekites, to take them out. God wasn't happy that the Amalekites were tricksters and, and devious and came after God's people right when they were coming out of slavery. And so the time had come for reckoning. And Saul went and did what he was told to do. But God said, exterminate everything. All the livestock, don't take anything, right? But what did Saul do? In verse 17, it says, Samuel said, although, well, let me get there. So what does he do? Saul goes and he kills everything that was not good, but he decided to spare the king and to hold what looked pleasing, what he thought would have been pleasing, what looked favorable, what looked untainted. And that's where the problem begins. That right there was an act of flawless devotion, an act of flawless religiosity. But now here Samuel comes on the scene and Samuel says, what have you done? And God had already told him what happened and Samuel interceded all night long for Saul. I believe he loved Saul, the first king, the one who was supposed to take over for Samuel. Imagine the tension that must have been in Samuel's heart, knowing that he was the last judge, the last prophet, and they were going from that type of order to a kingdom, which they should have never been in that position because they had the almighty God, and all they did by comparing themselves to other people were bringing taxes and the, the giving up of their best land, their best women. They gave up everything to be normal. Don't give up everything to be normal. You were meant for more. So under that tension, Samuel appears on the sea and he says, what have you done? And what does Saul do? Does he take that opportunity to be up front and walk out the principle of truth? No, because the truth wasn't in him. He wasn't rooted. He comes out and says, well, um, I, I destroyed everything, but I decided to hold on to this and to offer a sacrifice unto God. But before he even said that, he told Samuel, well, I destroyed everything, but the sheep started making noise in the background. What are those things in your life that when you're on the precipice of victory, they start to bah? Those undealt with things. And Samuel said, what's the, I hear the sound of sheep in my ears. And so here became the lie. Here came the lies. Well, I was going to sacrifice. And, and, it, and Samuel says, what do you mean you were going to sacrifice? God gave you an instruction. 
Does the Lord have pleasure in, in, in slain bulls and sacrifices? It's obedience that he's after. It's truth that he's after. And here comes out the emotional baggage. Saul says, I was afraid of the people. I was worried of what they would think. You see that? I was afraid of what they would think. The things that we refuse to deal with become the things that strip the kingdom from our hand the next day. You were meant to be a child of the kingdom. In fact, you are a child of the kingdom. Don't give up your inheritance. Don't bastardize yourself. <laughs> That's the teacher right there. <laughs> Don't bastardize yourself. Deal with those things. I'm dealing with some things. Because you know what? It doesn't matter if I wear a suit and a bow tie. It doesn't matter if I sing and, and the notes soar to the heavens. It doesn't matter. If I'm not rooted in truth, I will always be ready to fail and I will be always ready to abort God's best for me. Yeah. 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 The same goes for us. What are these things that, that, you know, when you're around certain people, there's just this uncomfortable tension within you. And sometimes we don't even want to address those things because we're ready to move on. That's the truth, Right? We live in this tension and this polarity, and I've struggled with it, where I know the message of the gospel, and God has made all things new, so why do I need to look backwards and deal with anything? That's the tension, right? And we'll hear one preacher say something like, don't think about the past anymore, just move on forward, everything is, is new, but... There's a root of, of joy that springs up, but it's not deeply rooted, so it withers away. And next thing you know, you're making your wife cry. You're yelling at the kids. You're stressed out because you have bills. Because the truth wasn't deeply rooted. And so in this season, which my uncle was telling me the other day, it's in the, on the Jewish calendar. It's the year of Jubilee. It's the year of restoration of all things. I believe we, we can partake of that because we have been engrafted into the vine. Amen. In this new season, God wants us to walk in it without that excess baggage, without those sheep that we try to keep back there so that pastor won't see it. Because we think that if we're honest, there goes our progression. Because we think that if we expose some things, then we set ourselves back a decade. But the truth is, it, that accelerates you. It sets you free. Before the, the, the Hebrew people were able to enter into the promised land, there was a whole generation that had to expire because they had too much baggage. They would see the miracles of God and they weren't even that impressed. It's like, yeah, okay, we got water, but where's the meat? Yeah, we got meat, but where's the bread? Yeah, we got a cloud, but where's the fire? You know what? Let's go back to Egypt. How can you want to go back to Egypt? Because you had a steady diet of onions when they were eating the bread of heaven and the meat of heaven with the chariot of fire and, and, the, and the, uh, the cloud, what was it, the, the pillar of fire and the cloud to keep them. In fact, it says that their clothes grew with them. They had no need. And if they would have been willing to fight... They would have gotten there sooner, but God knowing their hearts that they would have turned back if warfare was before them, led them through a different way. 
what you're afraid to deal with doesn't accelerate you. It only delays you. And if you're not careful, you will abort what God has for you while you're walking through the wilderness. And so before the Hebrew people were about to enter into the promised land, God tells Joshua, circumcise the people. It's that cutting away of the old things. You know, in the New Testament, Paul speaking said that we are not people who have confidence in the flesh, but we are of the circumcision of the heart. Amen? That's what God is after, our hearts. Truth. Truth in the inward parts. Amen? Now, let's go to Psalms 51. And I'll, I'll summarize it. Now we have David. If anybody had reason for emotional baggage, it was him, the eighth child. Some scholars believe that when he wrote in Psalms 139, I was born in iniquity. Some scholars believe that that means that he may have been an illegitimate child, which is why his father had such disdain for him and had him over there watching the sheep and didn't even acknowledge him when it was time for the anointing. Someone who received the word, walked nobly, he carried himself with nobility that no one had anything bad to say about him, had the word of the Lord, yet had to live out a wilderness season, being a type of Jesus in the wilderness where all the downtrodden came to him. Now he's king. But he didn't stay at his post. The pastor was preaching the other day. It says that in the time, in the season when the kings went out to war, he stood behind. And he happened to look. He saw Bathsheba, yes. I was going to give some adjectives, but I'm just going to say Bathsheba. He saw Bathsheba taking a bath. And he was enticed by, his, by the depraved nature that has the potential to surface in all of us. If we're not in our post. If he would have been in battle, that wouldn't have happened. But I, I, I found that people who, who struggle with insecurity have a proclivity for that type of enticement. Because they're trying to f uh, feed something within themselves. They're trying to validate themselves in some way. Don't look for validation in, that, in those ways, saints. You have been validated by the king of the cosmos. By the God of angels' armies. But we know the story. He ends up going and he's the king. She surrendered. And it turns out that he, she was the wife of one of his mighty men of valor, Uriah. An honorable man, Uriah the Hittite. And so here comes this huge scheme. Well, let me... Uh, Send me Uriah, I'm going to get him drunk, he can go lay with his wife, and boom, problem solved. You see what happens when we try to manage things and we try to keep things hidden in the closet? It comes out eventually anyway. Amen? And so we know the story, Uriah is so honorable he won't do it, and so David sends Uriah with his own death sentence in hand. How many of you would have opened that letter on the way? Anybody? <laughs> I, don't know. I think I would have opened it. That's mighty suspicious. But he was so honorable that he didn't. And they put him in the most intense 
section of the battle, and they retreated, and he dies. And it seems like everything was fine. Did David, although he himself desired truth, and he loved the Lord, and he was a worshiper, were there unresolved things in his life that allowed him to do such an egregious act and continue as if nothing had happened? But God will always send somebody in your life to confront what is wrong. In this case, he sends Nathan, the prophet. Nathan gives him this whole story. It's a beautiful parable about this man who had a little sheep, and he was oh, in love with that sheep and, and slept with it like if it was a child. And his rich neighbor that had many sheep had a guest one day, and instead of taking one of his sheep for dinner, he took the sheep that belonged to the man that had the only sheep that was more like a child. Nathan said, what do you think should be done? Here comes the righteousness, the appearance of righteousness, right? Well, that man should be dead. Who is he? Tell me who he is. <laughs> and Nathan said, you are that man. Now look at the differences between Saul and David. They both have emotional baggage. They both felt rejected. Although the Bible doesn't really register that Saul was rejected. He just felt that way. David really was rejected. He was rejected by his father, and then he was rejected by Saul himself, who he served honorably, all the while knowing that he was anointed to be king. Who, who, he was carrying a burden. Amen? But look at David's response. He, he didn't go into platitudes and excuses. Immediately, he threw himself on the ground and repented. Amen? He didn't start saying, oh, well, you know, what happened was that I was just on my balcony and I looked down. She shouldn't have even been there. <laughs> yeah, it's not my fault. Men will be men. He didn't say any of that. He repented. And in, in Psalms 51 is an awesome, awesome psalm of repentance. Amen. If you don't mind, I just, let me read some of it for you. Just a few verses. It says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Pastor always talks about confession. You can't trust everybody, but you can always trust God. Amen. Amen. And there are godly people that you can go to and confess. But one of the most important confessions are the confessions that you do between you and the Lord. I don't know about you, but sometimes there have been things in my life that I, I kind of broach over it in prayer. And I don't get too deep because I, I'm gung-ho with my destiny. I'm ready for destiny. I'm not going back there. But the thing is that we carry those things with us anyway. And they only hinder what was meant to be a glorious experience. Amen? And so here's what David said. He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Isn't that something? 
He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and block out my iniquities and create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. That's what the word says in John. It's the spirit of truth. In the place of truth, there is wisdom. Doesn't it say in James that if any of you lack wisdom, ask him and he will give you liberally without any reproach. That means he will give you wisdom and he won't ask you for it back. He's not an Indian giver. You know what? Forget I even said Indian giver. I just told my daughter, I don't like that term because the Indians weren't taking anything back. The land was theirs. <laughs> so that term is not even good anyway. Forget about it. Strike it from the record. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where we've gotten that from. I was giving my daughters a history lesson <laughs> not so long ago. Um, but anyway, in his presence, there's wisdom. When we make the decision to walk in truth, not just to hear truth and believe it, because they're similar, but they're not one and the same. You can know the truth, but the truth doesn't necessarily reside within you does that make sense and there's a difference what we want to do is hear the truth let the truth reside in us and then from that place of wisdom live our lives we can do it because holy spirit is on our side in psalms 25 verse 5 david said take me by the hand and lead me down the path of truth God is fair and just. He corrects the misdirected and sends them in the right direction. Okay, so now truth is not only wisdom for us, but it is also a path that God places before us. Amen? If you've been misdirected, God can place you on the right path. God's plan is to prosper the real you, not who we pretend to be. How many of us at times have been offended with God because we pray earnest and honest prayers or we have earnest and honest uh, ambitions in the kingdom and it seems that it just takes forever can it be that the truth is not in the inward parts yet and God in his sovereign wisdom and nature holds us back into those two truths collide The word of God says in Psalms 91 verse 4 that God wants to protect us with the truth. It says that his truth is a shield and buckler for us. So his truth is wisdom. His truth is liberty. His truth is a path. His truth is a shield. It's protection. There is a character to those who may dwell with the Lord. Psalms 15 verse 1 and 2 says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks, what? Truth in his heart. You see? God's not saying he who speaks truth out of his mouth. We can do that. When Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, he says, these people, they honor, you know, they honor God with their words, but their hearts are far from me. They're a whitewashed tomb, clean on the outside, but in the inside, they're a pit. I don't know about you. I don't even want to be a tomb. <laughs> I want to be a temple. Yeah. 
Amen? And I don't want to be a temple with stained glass windows and Michelangelo's uh, painting up there. But behind the closets, there's like these dark bones and all this stuff and these bad attitudes and these things that resurface from past hurts. God wants us to be whole. God wants us to be free. He paid too high a price for us to live any other way. Too high a price. In fact, we owe it to the world. We owe it to God to live out truth. What's one of the complaints that people have about Christians? Oh, they're hypocrites. Oh, they're phonies. They're this. And if we're honest, sometimes we feel more comfortable around our coworkers because we can actually be truthful. You know, when we begin to hit that place at work where we started out, we were very conservative, and now we're kind of like getting to that point where we're right about to start saying the same jokes that they say. But then when we come to church, it's a different, it's a different thing. And then when we get into the car, it's a different thing. God wants consistency in every arena of our lives. And I'm not telling you that it's the easiest thing to do, but you have not been left without a helper. You have not been left without a counselor. It says that the Holy Spirit will come and he will guide you into all truth. Amen? Jesus said, uh, so what did I tell you? Truth gives you wisdom. Truth gives you protection. It is a path before you. And truth gives you identity. How many of us feel sometimes like we've been bastardized, but we don't know where our identity is? Why not? Isn't it written that though your father and mother may forsake you, I will never leave you? Isn't it written that although your mother may forget you at her breast, see, I will never leave you nor forsake you, for I have engraved you in the palm of my hands. So then where does this conflict of identity come from? It comes from the sum of our experiences, from the rejections, from not recovering from certain things that have taken place, and from sometimes the very controversy, the, the controversial nature of some of our issues. It comes from the tension of wanting to honor God and calling it faith and saying, this is my faith. I'm not going to acknowledge what has been wrong in my heart. And like I said earlier, faith doesn't deny the existence of the problem, but it does deny it a place of influence. We, we, we have to learn to walk in that wisdom. Amen? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them from my hand. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And to go before, and let's go a little bit before this. First John, or after, first John chapter 5, verse 4 and 6, it teaches that if we are born of God, then we overcome the world. And the Spirit bears witness because the spirit is truth saints we were made to overcome we were made to be made whole and i know that god god is just doing some amazing things in this season on sunday pastor was saying you know shake it off it is time to shake off some things you know somebody told me to shut up when i was about four years old man that has bothered me No, no, but it wasn't even somebody I knew. It was like some contractor. 
And that bothered me for years. And if I wasn't careful, I would allow myself to become very uncomfortable in certain settings. And so what happens as a man, then I get aggressive. <laughs> I throw off that energy. That's not what God wants. God wants us to walk in love, in kindness, in gentleness, in meekness. How much of our persona has been developed because of emotional baggage? Because somebody touched us when we didn't want them to. Because we saw a magazine one day and it just set us off into a lifestyle of seeing things we shouldn't have seen. And then we come to the Lord and we receive the gospel and we have noble hearts. But those things are still in there. God desires truth in the inward parts. Be made whole. Be made free. Walk the path. Overcome. God bless you.